building neurodiverse teams, the role different personalities play in innovation, effectiveness, and goal achievement with Jay Niblick, episode 279. Are you ready to make your law firm a profit-generating machine that will free up your time and skyrocket your impact? With more than two decades of business growth experience and having proven that you can be successful while prioritizing your family and your impact, introducing the Profit with Law podcast. I am your host, the creator of the firm differentiator 10x effect, Moshe Amsel. Well, hello and welcome to another episode of the Profit with Law podcast. I'm your host, Moshe Amsel, and today we have a replay for one of the sessions of our annual planning Best Year Ever 2022 event. If you want to access the video version of this episode, as well as all the other topics that were covered during this event, as well as links to the downloadables from the speakers, you definitely want to go check that out at ProfitWithLaw.com forward slash planning replay profitwithlaw.com forward slash planning replay we will also have that linked up in the show notes below this episode as well as on our website profitwithlaw.com and without further ado here is that session it comes to hiring on you know the hard skills and, and do they do they have the cv that we're looking for and maybe they focus on some soft skills but those are all important things. Something that people don't necessarily think about as much is the diversity on the team. And what we do hear a lot of is is the typical diversity, right? How are we with gender diversity? Uh, you know, is the board comprised of a diverse group of people and gender and age and, and race, ethnicity? And those are very important things. But a lot of the benefits that come out of diversity aren't because of a gender or a color of somebody's skin or necessarily even their age. It comes from their different attitudes and how they think. You know, they have different backgrounds. They've come from different places. They've had different experiences. And so one of the things that we focused on for years is personality. And those personalities are something that you also have to make sure you're getting great diversity on, right? So there's a wide variety of different types of psychometric instruments or personality assessments, as, as most would call them, or profiles. But if you're not taking a look at that aspect, and those are the deeper skills, those are the intangible things, they're really difficult to identify in an interview. We've read that and people have talked about maybe taking six months to get to know a person well enough where they can really start to understand what their personality is. How do they prefer to communicate? What's their bias towards action? How risk averse are they? How detail oriented are they? All of these soft skills, as they've been traditionally called, if we can move those things up into the beginning of the interview before you're hiring somebody, this drastically expedites your ability to one, make sure that you're getting somebody who's a great fit for the job, right? There's a tendency, an affinity bias, it's called one of the, the hundreds of cognitive biases, where we like people who are like us. And that's great if I'm hiring my replacement. If I'm hiring somebody for a totally different role, a role for which my natural talents, based on how I think, my behavioral profile, my values, things that motivate me, then it can actually penalize me in the interview, right? Because different personalities sometimes don't get along so well. You know, they communicate very differently. For example, you can have somebody who's super detail-oriented, which I'm going to want in a paralegal or legal assistant in certain law, law uh, positions, but not all. 
But if I'm somebody who's more of what in, we'll use DISC for the discussion today, D-I-S-N-C, it's a behavioral model, probably one of the most popular ones in the world, created originally by Dr. Marston at Harvard back in 1928 in a book called Emotions of Normal People. And uh, DISC has D-I-S-N-C, and I can actually share my screen here um, if, no, I can't, Never mind. no big deal. Um, but a high D is somebody who tends to probably not focus on the details. They, they want to focus on the big pictures, the big constructs, the, the high 10, 30,000 foot kind of, what are we doing, broad strokes. But if I'm hiring for somebody, let's say a paralegal or a legal uh, assistant, somebody who needs to be much more detail oriented, or my accountant, or a pharmacist, or hopefully somebody working down at the nuclear power plant, I want somebody who's ridiculously detail oriented. And I have to think through these things as I'm hiring. I need to start with the end in mind of what is it that I'm looking for in this role? And I need to get diverse opinions, diverse personalities. And now that's you know the, the short plug for Wisire, and we'll share a link at the end here, um, where if you're interested, we can talk to you and we'll be glad to give you a 10% discount based on working uh, with you guys. The key is to start thinking about this in the beginning. It's not just a basic job description I found online and says, oh, this is what I'm looking for. That's the hard skills. Easy enough to find Google template for job description, and you'll find thousands of them. And we have great written templates here. You've got to be more concerned about what's below the surface. And if you get a team of people who are just all the same, they're all identical, right? and it takes great intent to make sure you don't do this, you need some way to to make visible those intangible talents. And then you want to find different personalities to be on the same team. There's an old saying in, in management, uh, whenever two managers agree with everything, one of them is redundant. I don't know if you ever heard that one. But that's the problem, is you want people with diverse opinions. Conflicting ideas and attitudes are great, they're actually of paramount importance for a high functioning team. And there's all the data and all the research shows that the most innovative teams, the teams that produce the highest results across all industries, the teams that outperform even other teams inside the company all have such diversity. And again, we're not talking about the equally important diversity that we normally think about when somebody uses that word. We're talking about neurodiversity, the neural networks, the way the person's brain is wired. I've got to understand what is their behavioral traits? How do they tend to act? These are the natural ways that we think and make decisions. Right? Our, our brains are ridiculously complicated, right? There's 100 uh, billion neurons out there connected to each other. The senses can take in about 11 million bits of information every second. But all the research also, so I'm, I'm talking functional MRIs and all kinds of really good, solid, sound, rigorous research. At best, we can track maybe 40 of those 11 million bits. So you know, evolution wouldn't have put together a system that can take in 11 million pieces of information in any given second, but we really only can use 40, four zero. Why would we continue to gather through our senses all of that other information if it can't be used? And the answer is it can be used. It's just not being used on a conscious level. You know, it's not Descartes' kind of logical conscious thinking process. 98% of the decisions we make on a given day are intuition, their they're gut, their instincts, they're subconsciously driven. Right? We talk about the way we breathe. It's a great example. 
our breathing is controlled by our autonomic nervous system, right? We're monitoring the levels of CO2, our brain is, and depending on whether that goes up or down, we're gonna breathe faster or slower. I can consciously override that. I'm in a yoga class, somebody's telling me to control my breathing, I can make myself breathe faster or slower, consciously. Somebody walks by and I start talking to them, I forget to breathe. I don't pass out from hypoxia, I, it's not, I forgot to breathe. My subconscious brain takes over again. This is how we make decisions on a daily basis. I can stop and with intent, very carefully on the, the prefrontal cortex of my brain, I can start consciously thinking through the decision. But that only happens 2% of the time out of most decisions on a day, right? So these are the ways our brains are wired. It's our neural network. And they do change slowly over the course of our lives. There's a concept proven now called neuroplasticity. And those neurons plug into each other new connections and sometimes disconnect those connections and plug in somewhere else depending on the flow of data and how frequently we're using that form of thought. And they can reinforce that and become a greater talent that happens more naturally and more quickly. But it happens over five, seven, 10, 15 years. It's very slow. So understanding the natural way somebody thinks requires science and it requires some sort of validated uh, personality assessment. It has to be tested. There's dozens of them out there. Anybody that's using anything like that, all you have to do to know you're using a good one is to ask the company that you're getting a personality assessment from to show you their validity and reliability um, studies. Most times we call them technical manuals. So you ask the company for their technical manual for their validity and reliability studies. If they give those to you, you're probably safe. It's probably in compliance with EEOC rules and American Psychological Association recommendations for use in hiring. They should also have what's called an adverse impact study that they're glad to share with you. That very much makes sure that they're complying with the force rule as put out again by the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. And it's not being prejudicial against any one class of protected class of people. But use some kind of assessment to allow you to see below the surface, to see where those 98% of the decisions I make on a daily basis are going to come from, because we're all very different. And one person can try to force themselves to think about breathing when it comes to doing tons of detailed work. But if it's not naturally what they do, as soon as they stop thinking about thinking, they lose those details. They, they wanna go back up to higher level. Somebody may be uh, you know, wanting to go 90 miles an hour. They don't have a lot of patience. They wanna move quickly. They don't have time for processes and systems. So in an interview, of course, they're gonna say, oh, I'm very, very keen on processes and systems. I think it's absolutely important. And I don't think there's malice behind a lot of these things when they happen. People are just prone to even thinking about themselves in a different way. It's another type of cognitive bias, assuming that I'm actually probably better at something than I am. We're not very good uh, at self-assessing ourselves. So asking these questions to try to demonstrate these things in an interview is just not very accurate. And there's a lot of studies that show it doesn't have any real predictive validity. They're not very accurate. So using a battery of, of assessments, go out there and find a good one. Come to us, we'll be glad to help you with that because we have our own here internally at WiseHire. But using these things allows you to then build out diversity on the team, different roles, different opportunities, 
fight that tendency where the one person who's hiring for all these roles is going to tend to want to find people of similar ilk, right? They like people subconsciously, those interviews go well, because they're like, hey, you're like me, and you were talking the way I talk, and we're getting along wonderfully. But that may not be the right person for the job. And that somewhat superficial scratching of the surface of who this individual really is, can lead to hiring mistakes and a non-diverse team. And then you lose the innovation, you lose productivity, you lose efficiency and effectiveness. These are all things that have drastic improvements when you have a, a, a wide spectrum, you know, 360 degrees of people looking at things from a different angle. And they'll see things that you don't, and you'll see things that they don't. And they'll want to go faster, and you'll want to go slower. And they'll want more detail, and you'll want less detail. And it's that balancing effect of having these neurodiverse teams that makes them such high-performing teams. So I talked a lot. I'm open to questions. You know, I'm sure you want to let me know if there's anything uh, people are asking, or you tell me. Yeah, um, I, I didn't see any any questions coming in the chat, um, and I love this this concept. Uh, but I'm wondering, like, I mean, there's a lot of different um, personality tests out there and, and things like that. What? Why did you settle on the disc? What is what's what what does the disc do that uh, that others don't? Uh, and is there benefits to implementing multiple personality tests that have different bents? Great questions. I'll go in reverse order. So um, hands down with without any equivocation, all of the studies and I'm glad to, to share links if anybody wants to email me. Uh, my email address is j at wisehire.com. That's J-A-Y at W-I-Z-E-H-I-R-E.com, right? Uh, every piece of investigation out there looks and finds that multiple assessments are required. They'll refer to them as a battery of assessments. Any one single assessment being used when it comes to predicting performance in a job in a recruiting scenario doesn't have nearly the same accuracy. It actually has no much more, no more accuracy than just having an unstructured interview, just which means sitting around and asking, you know, questions that pop into your mind and shooting the you know what and trying to get to know the person. No more validity in either of those. You need two or three assessments. So we do talk about DISC here, but when we talk about DISC, we're talking about our DISC plus. Now that's a proprietary assessment that I wrote here at the company, and it merges Marston's DISC model from Harvard with a guy named Edward Spronger and uh, Alport, Byrne and Lindsay, Rokich, a bunch of people that studied motivations. And we actually have an attribute index that's built by a guy named Dr. Robert Hartman, who was an MIT and Yale guy. Those three look at how you make decisions, what motivates them, and how they behave, how they actually elaborate on those decisions and interact with the world around them. The reason we chose those is because they have the longest history of use, right? If we're going to tell people they should be making evidence-based decisions on hiring, meaning we're, we have data, we have, you know, and I'm not a big data guy, believe it or not. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying, you know, the computer has to factualize this is the best person. No, 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 no. Use your intuition, use your gut, right? That's leaning on the 11 million bits of information you're getting in the interview, but get more data for you to make that intuitive decision about. So we chose DISC because the book came out in 1928, again, Emotions of Normal People, but it's been the most popularly used business assessment in the world 
from a behavioral standpoint. There's another one called the Big Five, quite a bit newer, uh, but still very valid and very actively used. Uh, there's a bunch of other assessments out there that uh, haven't been validated for hiring, haven't actually got the validity and predictive stuff that uh, the DISC did. So we use Marston's behavioral model. We use Spronger's values or motivational model, and we use Hartman's cognitive model because of the evidence of how many times they've been used You know, to the tune of tens of millions. Heck, we've had 23 million use it through our company alone. So, Awesome. Um uh, a very detailed response, <laughs> hey, probably more, more than I even asked for, but it is very interesting. And, um, you know, uh, clearly you've done your homework on, on the psychology side of it. And, uh, you know, I, I, I love that you've integrated it into that tool so that that becomes part of the hiring process. You're, it, it's automatically built in that you're assessing for these things. We do have a question that came in in the chat. I'm going to bring it up here. Um, and that question is, uh, from, uh, Mike Nancy Myers. And he says, thanks, Jay. How do you determine the job requirements? I think this is from a personal skills framework. Another great question. So, uh, like we just said, right. Evidence-based. So we've got about 300, what we call benchmarks. You know, that's looking at one role, going out and talking to individuals in that role, getting assessments on them and then marrying that against performance evaluations from the company to the tunes of hundreds, if not thousands of individuals for each one of those roles. So there's a little bit of a subjective start where knowing these things as well as we do, we think that these are going to need to be in these ranges. Then we go out and try to confirm that hypothesis or deny it, right? Disprove it by saying, based on looking at 485 uh, people in this role, there are statistically significant correlations between the top performers and these traits and what, where those traits fall, right? So these roles, let's just say a, a hunter-gatherer sales role, very, very high empiricism there, right? High Ds, high Is, a very low S and a low C. And we don't have time on this call, obviously, to dive into what exactly the DIS and C mean. We could be hours there, but we do offer certification. And so that tells us, okay, we know, again, there's a very high correlation with what these traits are in people that love the job and are as happy with the company as the company is with them. Right? So it, it does look at employee satisfaction and things like that as well. It's, it's not just uh, unilateral. Okay, well, the company really likes them a lot. You know, We want to make sure the employees love being in these roles and doing these tasks as well. And then that benchmark sits inside the applicant tracking system inside WiseHire. And something we knew from the beginning is nobody wants to become an expert in psychometrics, right? Nobody even wants to spell it. Uh, I don't want to be an electrical engineer. I just want to benefit from them by flipping a light switch and the lights come on. Good. That's all I need. So we have benchmarks that you would select when you go with the job title. And then our algorithms actually do that comparison for you and say, hey, this candidate looks like they're either an excellent, very good, average, or poor fit for this role relative to what the studies of the best performers looks like. Now, we don't do anything else than that. We're not going to tell you these people are out. That's your decision to make. We're just giving you more informed data that you can you know, decide on. Okay, these look like they're an excellent fit. They look like the people that love to do the work. They do not. You can see them all, and you can make that decision yourself. It's just putting, instead of demographics, we're also adding psychographics, right? And you, the hiring manager, gets to just make those decisions in a more informed way. 
Yeah, I love uh, I love the response that you gave. It triggered another question that I have. So we'll finish with this last question, and uh, and then we'll bring Molly on. Um, and by the way, Molly, if you're planning to share your screen, make sure to do that with now in the green room so I can get that set up for you. Uh, the question that I have is uh, in the book Traction, uh, Gino Wickman um, sets up this concept where you have two thing, two components you want to look at. There's the right fit and the right seat. So when you're evaluating whether somebody is going to be a good fit in your organization, you want to make sure that they fit well in the organization from a, you know, this is our core values and this is, uh, this is how we operate and, and we're all pulling in the same direction. And then you want to make sure they're in the right seat from a skills level, re reporting to the right manager, that kind of, kind, kind of assessment. Yep. Does the DISC assessment assess both of those in some way, or is it really on the right seat side of it, and we need to do more assessing on the right fit uh, side of the of the equation? Much more on, on the former than the latter. I think no psychometric is really great at assessing the big constructs of the values of the company. What's the credo of the company? Those are incredibly important things, and I com I'm completely in, in alignment with the, the concept of getting the corporate values, but those shouldn't get as granular as then the seat does, right? So you start with the big values constructs of we're all about, uh, you know, respect or servant leadership or uh, always doing the right thing, right? Johnson Johnson's famous credo, you know, our first duty is to those who take our medicine back in the Tylenol crisis. That drove their decision to pull millions and millions of bottles of Tylenol off the shelf because the stakeholders were the last of five shareholders were the last of five in that credo. And those are really important things to have, but I don't know of assessments that are really designed to do that. That's you trying to understand here. First, you have to understand what are your core values as a company? What's your mission, your purpose, your values? Having those things greatly helps improve your hiring decisions. The seat should be where you get that granular. I've got numbers now that actually help me understand what behavioral traits do they need to do the job? What motivations do they want, right? We haven't talked about the values, but there's a motivation called regulatory, uh, you know, and it's a person whose motive is to wake, wake, up, wake up and basically turn dials and make sure everything's exactly where you want it to be, you know, which I want in certain roles. Uh, there's a driver called high theoretical, right? And I need to feed that driver. I need to give that person a constant opportunity to be learning new things. Otherwise, they're not going to be as engaged. Well, if you guys have questions, again, you've got my email, jay at w-i-z-e-h-i-r-e, or come over to wisehire.com forward slash profit with law, and we'll be glad to help you out there as well. Wisehire.com forward slash profit with law. Thank you, Jay. And thanks so for having much. me, man. Yeah, it was a pleasure, and uh, sorry that we got you started late, but uh, you did great on the timing. It's I fun. really appreciate it. Uh, really good stuff. And Folks, as you're heading into 2022, you know, the whole purpose of this event is, okay, what am I, what am I, what do I need to focus on for next year? Tomorrow, uh, I'm going to be doing a session on how do you take all this information and turn it into uh, actionable items that you can really hit the ground running and stick to throughout the year. And the, the reality is, is that when you, when you go through a session like this, it's very important to like, okay, let's, let's dial it down into what's the actionable item. And the actionable item is, is if hiring somebody internally is on the calendar for 2022 or after my last session, it's now something that you're thinking about, uh, then 
you want to start to explore something like WiseHire. And WiseHire, uh, they have, it's a monthly subscription model, but you can pause your subscription at any time. So if you're not actively hiring, you can still have an account and just have it paused. So you can play around in there and look at what it's like to use it to create that job posting, get that ready. Um, you can even put a job posting out there and start to interview candidates. You can always decide not to hire somebody. Until you offer somebody a job, you can interview all you want. So you can actually go through the process. I, I don't want to say waste people's time because when you don't intend to hire, but if you're thinking, oh, I think I might want somebody, I don't think, I'm not sure. I don't know what the process is going to be like. I don't know if I'll find anybody. Go out there, shake the trees and see what, what falls out. But that's the action item. The action item behind this is use a tool that's going to allow you to filter through these, these neurodiverse situations and make sure you're bringing the right person on. That tool is here. It's right at your fingertips. You can use it um, and it's there for, uh, for you to use. So Jay, thank you so much for being here with us today. And uh, folks, before I bring Molly McGrath on, uh, I'm just going to really quickly quickly talk about how you can get access to the replays, uh, anything that any of our speakers are sharing, uh, links that we're sharing. Uh, if you register for this event, you're already getting emails about it. There's nothing you need to do. Every morning, we're going to email you a link for the replays and stuff like that. Uh, but if you are just finding us on Facebook Live, because that's where we're producing this, uh, you, you want to go to ProfitWithLaw.com forward slash planning replay, ProfitWithLaw.com forward slash planning replay. And that is going to allow you to access all of the replays from day one, which started two days ago uh, through tomorrow. Uh, it's a, a wonderful, really quick uh, event that's helping everybody get set up for an amazing year next year. Now, if you want to explore working with us here at Profit With Law more deeply and you want to have more accountability, have more direction, help us have us help you handhold through the process of creating your plan. Uh, that all starts with a coaching session that we offer. It's absolutely free um, and you can find out more about that by going to profitwithlaw.com forward slash free coaching. What our coaches do on this session is they're going to help you get a crystal clear vision for your ultimate law firm success and the perfect lifestyle that you'd like your firm to provide. They also will help you uncover the hidden challenges that may be sabotaging the growth of your firm and keeping you working too many hours. And when you leave the session, you're going to leave renewed, re-energized, and inspired to turn your firm into a highly profitable revenue generating machine that practically runs itself. So if that's something you're interested in, at the end of that call, if you're a good fit, they will offer you to join our 18-month Elite Lawyer Coaching Program. Uh, there's no obligation to do that. Go have the call with them, and then we'll take it from there. Thank you for tuning into the Profit With Law podcast. Your feedback is extremely valuable to us, as well as helping us reach more people with this valuable content. Please leave us a rating and review in your favorite podcast directory. Join us again next time when we are back with even more strategies to profit with law.